Today we turn together in the Word of God to Matthew chapter 5. I'll read verses 33 to 37, and then also Ephesians 4, verses 15, 16, and 25. We again welcome those visiting among us, family, friends, visitors who are here. We are in a series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we pick up there today in God's Word in Matthew 5. You'll also see an outline on page 4, and for those that are really interested in these particular topics today about O's and vows, page 5 has a number of extra resources, including the Westminster Confession of Faith. Hear now God's word. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Therefore, having put away falsehood, Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. David Wells once wrote, it is one of the defining marks of our time that for many, God is now weightless, meaning unimportant, insignificant, distant, tired, out of date, uninvolved. Many people think that God's truth is less compelling than the advertiser's sweet fog of flattery and lies, he said. That is weightlessness. And when that begins to happen, when our understanding of the significance of God present everywhere, and us living before the face of God in all that we do, when that begins to disappear, so does our understanding of God's holiness and our understanding of our need for a Savior and the importance of the truthfulness of God's unchanging law. We see today in particular this aspect of the law of God when it comes to oaths, vows, truth-telling, and honesty. George Orwell once said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. How true is that, loved ones? Jesus here is unpacking the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness, the third commandment, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, and showing that this is the ethic of the kingdom of heaven. This is what God produces in his people 
by his grace. He brings us from duplicity and lies to honesty and transparency. It happens through the gospel. It happens in the midst of fellowship. And it's done by God's spirit among us. And so Emmaus wrote, we who in Christ now have hearts of honesty and dependability, we who by grace are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, are to live as salt and light by speaking the truth in love. First, this means we hate the sin of lying. As we look at lying and truthfulness, we need to go back to the beginning. We've done this often in the Sermon on the Mount because unless we know where things started, we won't know where we are and where we're going. Do you remember, children? God created Adam and Eve in true righteousness and holiness that they might rightly love God, enjoy him, glorify him, and obey him. God himself is a God of the truth. Adam and Eve were made to speak God's truth back to him. They're in a covenant in the garden. And we're not sure how long this covenant is ongoing, but at some point, Satan enters. And what does he do right away? He calls into question the truthfulness of God's word. Has God really said? And then he says an outright lie. You will not surely die. Take this this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your eyes will be opened. Satan is the great deceiver, the father of lies. The name devil means slanderer. And when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam, as the federal head of all humanity, plunges all of us into sin. So we have now exchanged the truth of God for a lie. By nature, all people are liars. We are prone to hate God and to hate our neighbor, to turn inward all the time and to ask, what's good for me? On a side note, there's a connection. Theology is not just kind of going in one ear and out the other, is it? There's a connection between this truth that by nature we hate God and the violence and the other evil we see around us. The things that are happening are not random. They're, they're intricately connected. In fact, the evil and the present sufferings that we see in the world around us, think of what happened this week at the school in Texas, is a part of God's temporal judgment, one person said. These are the trumpet warnings of Revelation 8 and 9. Read that this afternoon. That's what's been happening among us. The call is to repent and to turn to Jesus. What does Jesus say about lying? Well, if you look at Matthew 5, the context here is very interesting. Oaths and vows and strange things, aren't they, kids? About our hair being white or black and the city of Jerusalem and swearing by it. And you read this and think, what does all this mean? Well, Jesus here is picking this up from the Old Testament as he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's not contradicting himself. He's the author and the giver of the word of God. So when he says, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, he's not changing the law of God. What's he doing? Well, he's bringing out a couple of verses here. Deuteronomy 10, Leviticus 19, 
which speak of this, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. Leviticus, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So oath-telling and vows was common in the Old Covenant. The Westminster Confession helps a lot here because we don't think a lot about these things, do we? What's the difference, first of all, between an oath and a vow? In an oath, we call upon God to witness and to judge what he says or promises to men. In a vow, we make a solemn promise to God, Westminster Confession 22. In the Old Testament, this stuff was going on all over the place. In everyday life, in the marketplace, among the priests, in politics, oaths and vows were everywhere. That's why Jesus is bringing this up here. And what had happened is the Pharisees had taken God's word from Deuteronomy and Leviticus and other places, and they twisted it. They falsified it. They wanted to find loopholes for how to get out of telling the truth. That's what's going on. So Jesus gives these examples. He brings up what the Pharisees had talked about in the Mishnah. This is a group of Jewish legal writings. One of the things that they had said is, do you see Matthew 5.35? If you swore by Jerusalem, you're not bound to tell the truth. But if you swore toward Jerusalem, that implied you're including God's name in your oath, so then you do have to tell the truth. So the Pharisees were saying, well, I didn't really lie. I just swore by the, the city of Jerusalem, not toward the city. I didn't swear by God, so I got my fingers crossed. That's how this happens today. Oh, crossing my fingers, I, I'm not really telling the truth. Or today, if you, if you come across someone, they say, well, I swear on a stack of Bibles it's true. That, that's the kind of thing Jesus is denouncing here. He's saying we are to be people of the truth because it flows from our heart. But the Pharisees were looking for, for ways to get out of telling the truth. So Jesus in Matthew 23 says, you Pharisees, there are woes, there are curses coming upon you because you swear by the gold of the temple, Matthew 23, but not by the temple. Jesus brings up these examples in Matthew 5 to say, God is there whenever you make a promise. Your yes is to be yes, your no is to be no. The Pharisees forgot about the presence of God in all of life. There's nowhere we go to get away from God. So if you swear a promise by heaven, God's in heaven. Or by earth, God is on earth. Or by the city of Jerusalem, God owns that city. Or by your hair being black or white, God made your hair. God knows how many hairs you have. You can't try to be so duplicitous, he's saying. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, don't use these man-made laws to get out of telling the truth. What does this mean for the world we live in? We live in a postmodern world different flavors of ice cream, 
can be all the different versions of truth people have. So if you like chocolate, that's your version. If you like strawberry, you like that version, and, and this is true for you, and it's not true for you. Postmodernism. We see this take place in terms of the deception of the media. You all know, in this age of instant news, the amount of deception that's out there is tremendous. The Proverbs say, don't make a judgment about something until you know the whole story. How about advertising? Advertisers use words, but even more than that, images to manipulate us to buy the product. So they want you to think you can't live without this. They're not conveying truth. They're trying to convey a feeling. How about resumes? Do you remember the story about George O'Leary 20 years ago, the guy who was hired to coach football at Notre Dame? He gets hired. They start to look at his resume. He had said he lettered for three years as a football player at New Hampshire. Turns out he didn't. He ended up losing his job. His brother said, what's wrong with this? In America, the willingness to lie on a resume is an indication of how much you want the job. And yet, as Rico T. says, and you know this in your jobs and callings, what do employees most want in a relationship with an employer? What do employers most want from an employee? I know you would all answer this, right? Honesty. They want this person to be truthful. They don't want to beat around the bush. Why do we lie? Well, it's a sin of the heart. Your tongue, kids, is used to swallow and to chew, and sometimes you burn your tongue if that hot chocolate is too hot or you bite your tongue if you're so hungry you can't wait to eat that hamburger and it hurts, doesn't it? That tongue that's used to taste and swallow is sharp. Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lying comes out of our hearts. Jesus has been talking about the heart, hasn't he? The root of murder is hatred. The root of adultery is lust. The root of lying is not as simple, is it? What would you say? It's pride and it's fear. The fear of man. God hates this sin. You know, kids, and your mom and dad know too, when you've told a lie, when you've withheld information, and someone talks to you and you feel a kind of gnawing in your stomach, you feel a burning maybe in your neck, you don't look someone in the eye, you look down when mom and dad ask you about, did you say that word to your sibling? Did you hit them? Did you hurt them? Did you turn in your assignment to your teacher? That's the Spirit of God convicting us of sin, isn't it? There are many different ways to lie. There's Frank Abagnale. That's the big picture lie. Remember Catch Me If You Can? Have you seen that movie or read about that? The con man. He pretended to be a pilot and then a doctor. I mean, that is big time manipulation. 
<laughs> that is crazy stuff. And yet the seed of that sin is in our hearts. A liar uses words to manipulate people to do what he wants them to do. Fear of man. We want to look good in front of others. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to bring bad news to someone, so we cover things up. We are cowards by nature. Or we flatter. These are different forms of lying. We lie when we make excuses for ourselves. We lie, it's so, by nature, a part of us without even thinking about it. In terms of our commitments, I'll give you a call. Let's meet for lunch sometime. Can I have a minute of your time? You've heard that? I swear I will get this done for you by next Friday. We we use that language sometimes. I swear I'll do it. Or sometimes I'll pray for you. Now, if we say that and we mean it, it's not a lie. But if we just toss it out there and we don't follow through, that's an example of what Jesus is getting at here, what the Pharisees were getting out of. We lie when we exaggerate. We lie when we falsify another person's words. When we pass on some information but leave out other information. We're all spin doctors. That was a band, wasn't it? We all kind of put a spin on things to make it sound like we want it to sound. We lie when we imply false motives. And if we look for reasons to condemn someone, we're going to find them all over the place. Kevin DeYoung says, you know what? Our hearts are desperately wicked But love covers a multitude of sins. We lie when we gossip, when we pass on rumors that aren't true, or we pass things on unnecessarily. Kevin DeYoung says there's no faster way to make a friend than to find a mutual enemy. So we make connections over these gossips. Think of Herod and Pilate in the Bible. They hated each other, but they come together over their mutual hatred of Christ. Spurgeon is wise here. Believe not half of what you hear of rumors. Repeat not half of what you believe from the rumor. When you hear an evil report, have it, quarter it, and then say nothing about the rest of it. How can I speak evil against a neighbor that Jesus died for? How about listening to gossip? When someone begins to speak in a way that is gossiping about someone who's not there, there's three things we can do. First, we can interrupt. We can say, you know what? I don't think we should be talking about this. Second, we can pray. We can say, let's pray about this situation. This is grieving you. Let's ask for God's help. Third, we can say, why don't you go and talk to this person about this, and if you want, I'll come along as well. But by nature, we just love to hear gossip. We love to participate in it. Loved ones, this sin of lying dies hard. 
It's the last sin, one man said, that will be mortified in me. If we fail when we're younger to hate lying, if we fail to cultivate the truth, we may find our older age to be marked by exaggerations, flattery, and delighting in rumors. That's why this is so important for all of us kids, from young to old. Do you remember, children, the story of the boy who cried wolf? He cried wolf to try to get the townspeople to come out there. He was lying about it. There's no wolf. He did it a second time. He's lying about it. He does it a third time. The third time, the wolf is really there. But he'd lied. His words lost their power. They stopped listening to him. Some are locked in patterns of lying. What it does is breaks down the capacity of trust. Satan is behind it all. Satan sows distrust. Satan wants God's people to fight and devour each other. In a family, in a church, in a school, in a neighborhood... And we read the end of Revelation and Jesus specifies liars, unrepentant liars as those who will be shut out from the kingdom of heaven. What can be done? Secondly, the grace of God to love the truth. Loved ones, have you and I ever hated our heart sin of lying? Have we seen it in a fresh way and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Have we prayed what David prays? Psalm 15, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He who speaks truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. Who's that speaking of, ultimately? Jesus. He has no slander. He speaks truth. So what can be done? We flee to Christ. We say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When we see the truth of our sin, then we can see truly that we need a Savior who will set us free. You will know the truth, Jesus says. The truth will set you free. The gospel will free us from all of these various ways of lying and breaking our word. We rest in Jesus, who spoke no words of deceit, who, unlike Adam, did not give in to the word of the devil, but spoke the truth back to the devil. Jesus, the one that they tried to find all sorts of evidence against to put him to death, but they couldn't come up with anything. So what did they say? Well, he tried to destroy the temple. He said he was going to destroy it, and then he was going to rebuild it. So they came up with a, a word that he said, and they used it against him in a way that wasn't true. And what did Jesus do when he had those false words spoken of him? He uttered not a word. Why? Because he was sitting there taking our place, bearing our false witnessing tongue as our substitutionary sacrifice. He died for sinners and liars like us. He gives us his perfect righteousness. And when the Bible tells you that Jesus died for your sins, it's true. 
When the Bible says, Jesus hears your prayer, it's true. When the Bible says, Jesus will come again, it's true. The new heavens and new earth will be a place of no more lies, no more filth, no more deceit. Jesus, come quickly. God keeps his promises. And when we think about oaths and vows, we are reminded that God himself made an oath. In Hebrews chapter 6, God swore not by the sun, not by the moon, not by the earth, but by himself. God's oath is his covenant promise. It's the reality of what he says to Abraham, I will be your God. You will be my people. God is a truth-telling God. He cannot lie. Why would he swear by himself? Hebrews 6. Because he knows that we are weak. He knows that by nature we tend to wander, we are filled with unbelief, and we, we are often tempted to despair when Satan tells us of our sin. So he wants you to know, Christian, you can have assurance of faith in Christ. He wants you to know that you have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He wants you to know that the Father is true, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Loved ones, that is the foundation for why we live as truth-tellers. Because we're found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. God loves the truth. So how does God produce this in us? How do we live as lovers of the truth? When we're converted to Christ, we turn outward. We don't want to manipulate people. We want to love and build up people. And by God's grace, the law of the Lord is our delight. God demands truth in the inward being. So honesty and truth is a part of sanctification, what Jesus produces in us. So why then, you might say, does Jesus say you never take an oath? You see that? So if if this is true, is Jesus outlawing all oath-taking? Quakers and Mennonites have said that. They won't take an oath in a court of law or the military or anything. But Jesus is not, of course, outlawing all oaths and vows. He's correcting the Pharisees' abuse of these things. Jesus spoke under oath when he was at at the trial. Are you the son of the living God? It is, as you say. Paul took vows and made oaths. God himself swore an oath by himself. So this is hyperbole. Jesus is not outlawing all telling of oaths and vows. When you think about oaths and vows, children, what comes to mind? Does Jephthah jump into your mind? Do you remember him in Judges? This would be a good discussion over lunch. How many think that when Jephthah took his foolish vow, he sacrificed his daughter? You don't have to raise your hand. Or how many think when he made that vow, it was about giving her to the Lord so there's a perpetual virginity in her so that 
that's why he's weeping. There's a division on the commentators on this from respected, faithful men. What was Jephthah really saying? That's a lunch discussion. Dig into a good commentary or the R.C. Sproul study Bible. Jephthah's vow. How about more practically? Where are there unlawful vows in our life? The Westminster Confession talks about it. Any vow that is taken that dishonors the Lord, that goes against the law of God, is sin. It should not be made. So the Westminster Confession brings out vows that Roman Catholic priests would make for celibacy. That's not a God-honoring vow. If someone is called to celibacy, it's a calling of God. But it's not a vow that someone puts on top of the word of God. There's an example the Westminster brings out. How about this? Here's a much more practical, real-life situation. Someone comes up to you, Derek Thomas says. They say, I want to tell you something, but you need to promise me you will not tell anyone else. Has anyone told you that? Thomas says, whenever someone says that to you, we need to say, I can't make that promise. If you're about to tell me you've broken the law, I can't keep that promise. Thomas says, if you're about to tell me you have sexually assaulted a child, the first thing I will do and I speak of me and the elders of the church, is call the police. Because that's the law. Before we tell anyone else, we will call the police. I can't make that promise. Do you see how this matters in every area of our life? How about this? People love this question. Can I ever tell a lie? When you think about oaths and vows. Do you remember the situation with Rahab and the spies in Jericho, or the Egyptian midwives who were not going to tell Pharaoh about those boys that were born because he was going to kill them. So that they, they said the Hebrew women, they're vigorous, they're giving birth so fast. I... Or you're in World War II and you're hiding Jews from the Nazis. These questions come up, don't they? They're in the scriptures, they are on our minds. Here's what one pastor says. Not everyone has the right to the truth. Pharaoh and the king of Jericho would have used the truth as a weapon to murder and slaughter and destroy. Pharaoh was working for the evil one. He forfeited his right to the truth. You see all the applications of a very strange passage in Matthew 5 about oaths. How about positive uses of oaths? We saw some today, didn't we? Church membership vows. That's a vow, not an oath, but very similar. So when Paul and Rita and Kent and Allison made their vows, they made them to the Lord in the presence of you, his people. Or baptism, last week vows were made. Or when an elder or deacon or pastor is ordained and installed, there are vows. God-honoring vows. Your marriage, loved ones. Marriage is a covenant. You enter into it and you say, I will have and hold you from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, 
as long as we both shall live. Dear brother and sister, bind that on your heart. Strengthen it by genuinely having and holding the spouse that God has given you. By loving and cherishing your spouse, bind it there, pray for the spirit there. That is a God-honoring vow. Jesus is saying, when you're in me, when you have a new heart, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you reflect me. So his point about you've heard that it was said, but I say to you is, you don't need to take O's when you go around living your life every day. If your spouse goes out to get groceries, you don't say, swear to me, you're going to get groceries. <laughs> you better bind that. No, you trust your spouse. You love your spouse. You know they're going to get groceries. And if you don't, then there's a problem there. That's much deeper than an oath or a vow. He says, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. At times, we need to say no. I can't take that on. That's too much for me. And that's honoring to God. If not, not if it's an excuse, of course. But if it's a genuine no, say no when you mean no. Say yes when you mean yes. This is the ethic of the kingdom of heaven. So there's an openness, there's an honesty, there's a transparency to how we live. James 5.12 says the same thing. Here's another reason for why we live this way. Everything we say, Ligon Duncan says, as a Christian, reflects God. You bear God's name. You are God's people. You are Christians. All of your speech is under God. Every commitment we make is a commitment in the name of the living God. So when we are untruthful in speech or evasive, any way we lie, we bring dishonor on the name of the living God. We take God's name in vain, third commandment, when that happens, because we bear that name. So Jesus says, Christian, by the Holy Spirit, your word is your bond. Don't play games with words. We are to be reliable. When we go up to someone and we ask how they're doing and we say, I'll pray for you, we follow through. Not like the Pharisees, we don't parade it in self-righteousness, but maybe you make a note for yourself on your phone or on your bulletin or you have a good memory in your head and you bring that up before the Lord in prayer later that day. God bears witness to all of our words, doesn't he? Jesus says, Matthew 12, on the day of judgment, we will give an account to the Lord for every idle word. That is a warning to all of us, especially to pastors who tend to talk too much. God, bind my heart and my lips that I would speak words that are truthful, that are honoring to you. God is listening publicly and privately to everything we say. And as a church, Ephesians 4 shows how this plays itself out. Speak the truth in love to each other, Paul says. That's how you're built up together. We become more of what Jesus wants us to be. So as we're talking to each other on perhaps texting or back in the back of church afterwards or during the week as we meet together, we think, 
is what I'm going to say true, helpful, edifying, necessary, kind, and loving? Kids with school, is it true and necessary what I'm going to say about this other person? Parents and talking to other parents in school and school teachers and administrators. Are we speaking the truth in love? Proverbs chapter 15. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A word fitly spoken, Proverbs 25, at the right time, in the right tone, for the right result, in your bedroom with your spouse, in your kitchen with your kids, in the backyard kids with your brother and sister. A word rightly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Beautiful is holiness. What a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus. In our speech, then, we are always concerned about how it impacts everyone around me. That's what Jesus is getting at in Ephesians 4. God changes us. Isn't that wonderful? That we're not always the same? That he makes us to be more like his son? So where we're timid, we begin to speak out more boldly and courageously. Where we are blurting, we learn to keep our mouth shut at times. Where we speak to an issue that shouldn't be spoken to, we learn to overlook it. Where we should talk to something, we raise it. The Lord works on all of us to be more like Christ because we're all struggling in these areas and he wants us to reflect his son. Listening. I mentioned that earlier. Attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Someone said that. As we talk to each other, as we talk to our kids, our little ones, as we talk to the elderly who are shut in, how we listen to them shows our love for them. How we care about them is a demonstration of God's care for them. Here's the motivation Ephesians 4 gives. This is not try harder, be better, shape up. This is put away the lie, speak the truth with your neighbor for, here's the motive, we are members one of another. It's wonderful that we have new members joining today. That's in the providence of God that we're on this text. When we lie to each other, it's like a hand that has a fork with food on it, kids, not bringing the food to the mouth, but stabbing itself in the eye. The body would hurt itself. So it is with how we speak in a church, in a school, in a home. We're members one of another. We are called and equipped to speak the truth to and about each other. And so Emmaus Road, let's pray that there would be no hypocrisy, no duplicity, no evasiveness, no dodging the truth, no gossip, no slander, but instead of that, that we would be gracious and loving, candid and honest, plain and open, real and accurate, 
in every meeting that we have, as elders and pastors meet, as deacons meet, as elders and deacons and pastors meet, that's to be the, the tone of our conversation. As we have committee meetings, this is how we are to speak to each other, communication. And why is that? Because the way we speak is grounded in the character of the triune God who himself is truth. Brothers and sisters, let's speak the truth in love. Remembering Paul's words, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our lips that our mouth would declare your praise. Help us as your family, the family of God at Emmaus Road, as we call upon you as our Father, as we call upon Christ as our elder brother, as we live with the spirit of truth in us, to be speakers of the truth in love, to build each other up in grace, to point each other to Christ. In our conversations, in our prayers, may we be honest, truthful, to the praise of your glory, to the encouragement and edifying of each other. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.